0: The following audios from the Chapel at Fishhawk. More information about the Chapel at Fishhawk is available at www.thechapelfh.org.
1: Well, today, uh, this weekend, we are remembering Memorial Day. And because of that, I asked uh, one of my brothers, Phil, who serves in our military, to come and pray for us and lead us in a prayer for this weekend as we remember. So, Phil, take it away, bud.
0: Let's go to the Lord Prayer. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity today, Lord, to come into your house, to worship you, to praise your name, and remember those, Lord, that aren't able to today, to remember the thousands of soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines, civilians, and their families, Lord, for their families that are coming here today that have lost loved ones, Lord, we just pray for them as well because they're still here and they still have to live every day, Lord, with, with the events that have happened and the loss of their loved ones, Lord. And, Lord, during this Memorial Day, allow us to, to just remember those who have died in service to this country. Some who have been just avid followers of, you, followers of you, Lord, who have just given their life because of love of country and love of their fellow man. The guy to their left and to their right. And, Lord, love of their family. So Lord, we pray for those who have passed, that you remember them as well, that we remember them, and Lord, we pray especially for their families, and Lord, that you bless them, and that you keep them, and that you comfort them on this time, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.
1: Amen. Thanks, brother. Well, uh, today, or this week, rather, was kind of a fun week in how everything is lined up for today's message. If you are new, welcome. My name is Ryan. I'm your pastor. We are in a series on identity, and the, t- the name of the whole series is called Know Who You Are, and I totally stole it from the movie Moana. And I, I wanted us to do this series going verse by verse through the book of Ephesians because Ephesians is jam-packed, as with many books of the Bible, but really these big identity statements of who we are in Jesus, mostly because I see so often that we are selling ourselves short for who God has not only saved us to be, but called us to be, purposed us to be, and created us to be. So we've done so far a saint. So everyone say, I am a saint. Now a saint is not, if you grew up in a different uh, denomination or tribe in the church, it's not somebody who does everything right. It's somebody that comes to Jesus by faith, and then Jesus did everything right for you on your behalf. Every time Paul writes a letter, he talks to the churches as the saints. So we have the saints in Ephesus. You guys are the saints at the chapel at Fishhawk. You are saints, even if you don't feel like. It. And, and granted, I need to caveat this: you are saints if your faith and trust is in Jesus. We also did uh, that. We are blessed. Everyone say, "I am blessed." Now we are blessed with every spiritual blessing, which means we have all that we need with the Spirit of God within our lives today, right now. We've got the the blueprint of God within us to overcome anything that's in our past to find restoration and healing from brokenness. We've got the DNA of God within us to be able to love those who are hateful toward us. We've got the DNA of God within us to be able to return kindness for for anger. We've got the DNA within us to live in a way that is contrary to what this world generally sees. This is God's power within us. This is what it means to have every spiritual blessing, that all of who Jesus is, is now within us and walks with us and goes with us as we go. We are also secure in who god has made us and today we are looking at a few other identity statements we are an heir we are hopeful and we are secure now today um it should be a relatively quick message i'm not going to promise that but it should be and uh, i was so pumped Uh, this is for those of you who don't know this thing is called a newspaper okay uh, They used to read these back in the 90s and 80s before Google existed. They're amazing, Uh, by the way. You can like rub ink off with this stuff called Silly Putty. Um, Kids these days, they just never know this sort of thing. But one of our families, uh, one of the co-directors of our kids ministry and her husband, Greg, who's our webmaster, they adopted a child. And his name is Anthony Gabriel, now Hart. And it is amazing. Anthony Gabriel Hart was added to the Hart family this week. And it was the first adoption that I've ever gone to, like the court proceeding, and it was a fascinating moment, because in in that moment, Anthony Gabriel Hart, actually I need to caveat, they did one thing I didn't like with the adoption, I'm pro-adoption, but the kid's name was, before the adoption day, Anthony Jesus Hart, or Anthony Jesus, whatever the last name was, and I thought that was more appropriate for a chapel kid, I think we should all have the middle name Jesus, but anyway. So I told Greg, don't change your name from Jesus to Gabriel. Let him be Anthony Jesus. It's the best. But he changed it against my judgment. And, uh, and on that day, he went from legally being part of the system, not having a family, to in one moment when the judge declares it and it's signed and done, they said, this now is Anthony Gabriel Hart. And if you've, if you've not met Anthony, he's in the back today. He is a ball of sunshine. Now now if you've never talked to him don't he doesn't he can't talk verbally but he can communicate. He will let you know when he's mad and when he's happy. And he's so happy when you talk about the right things with him or if you give him gifts. He loves stickers. I don't know if his parents love him having stickers, but they're not in the room so get them all the stickers he wants. <laughs> and on that moment though when when he became Anthony Gabriel Hart, I mean there was not dry eyes in the room there was a news crew there doing this photo shoot there were friends and family there were the agencies involved in caring for anthony before and the lawyers and everyone and, and because he, he has a disability and is in a wheelchair and because his story is so powerful and he went so long oh, like half of his life without a family for him that day i'm sure was momentous and for the hearts that day going from a family of four to a family of five everyone was just crying as, as Anthony got his new name, as Anthony became a heart, as Anthony now, though not born biologically to the family, is part of the family. And the brothers accepted him. The judge asked the brothers what they thought. And they, they were asking the friends in the family, Do you affirm this? Is this a good thing? Now this young boy has a new identity. Now this young boy has a new security. Now this young boy has a new family. So when we read this passage today, we need to remember that this is the type of thing we are being called into. So we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1, for those who have already flipped there. If not, it will be on the board behind me. Ephesians chapter 1, just three verses this morning, verses 11 to 14, four verses. In him, in Jesus, we, the church family, have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be, here's a key phrase for this morning, to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. Until we acquire possession of it. Key phrase again, to the praise of his glory. Now, may God bless the reading of his word. May God transform us this morning to no longer be orphans, but to be his children. Anyone here ever felt... Unloved. Anyone felt unloved here? I'm mean, gonna this is me raising my hand by the way. I felt unloved. Okay. Anyone here ever been uh struggled with the thing we call in the church anxiety or worry? Okay, we're getting there. Anyone here in this room ever felt like a situation was hopeless? Okay, so a little fewer. So we went from like five people to ninety percent to eighty percent. So today in this passage we've got some key themes. One is, is that we are heirs. We have an inheritance coming our way. And most of us know what that looks like if, if somebody here were to lose a family member that had buckets of money, and you got the knock on the door, and they said, hey, you know, your, your Uncle Billy has gone, left you a check for $40 million. Some of you are like, jeez, life changed. You know who else is saying that? The government. They're like, tax time! Your life would be changed. I mean, what could you do with $40 million? You could pay off some of your student loans. You could pay off your mortgage. You could send your kids to boarding school. There's so much opportunity to inherit something like that. Now, when we say to people in church, you inherit god himself were just like yep cool thanks <laughs> if i were to tell you right now that under two of the chairs but only in this section there's an envelope with 100 dollars bills in each of them you're not going to look right now because you'd be judged harshly at the chapel <laughs> but some of you are already like uh, and then you're looking in the empty chairs because it's memorial weekend you're like this row is mine I'm claiming it. You're like throwing your sweater and the purse on the other chairs. And that's just for $100. Now, in this passage, we have one of, if not the most important aspect of what we inherit, and we walk right through it. Because we have obtained an inheritance in Christ, have, past tense, we have been, past tense, predestined. We have a destiny that God is laying out. Some people don't like this word. The word is in the Bible, so you got to deal with it one way or the other. God has a destiny that he is writing your story. Later on in Ephesians, God uses a word for our lives. He says he is writing a poema, is the Greek word, for our lives. So literally, God says, you, your life, is a poem, and I'm writing it out. I'm making it unfold to the beautiful destiny that I have written for it. I've already got the lines and the stanzas set. I'm just writing your story as each hour ticks by. And all of these things are working toward the counsel of his will, not our will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ may be, that phrase I said was the key phrase, to the praise of his glory. Now that's a very churchy phrase, to the praise of his glory, to the worship of his glory, to the worship of his beauty, to the love of who he is, now, this phrase, I think sometimes we lose sight of how meaningful it is for us. Because we learn this about God in the Bible. God wants to be worshiped. God says, it's for my glory to be so my glory could be praised. And the Old Testament says, it is for my name's sake that I'm doing this. And God says, I am a jealous God. I will not have other gods before me. It is the very first commandment is like I am chief and I want nothing before me. Now, if any of us did that in our lives, we generally don't like those types of people, right? So, like, let's just say you meet somebody. Let's call them, I mean, if you think of a name that's probably not here, Gehilde okay? Let's say somebody's named Gahilda. I just don't want to offend anybody. Uh, let's, let's just go with a general name, Steve, okay? If there's a Steve here, I'm not talking about you. Let's say Steve is just self-absorbed to the maximum, He's just got megalomania flowing out of his ears, and it's all about Steve, or if you want to change the story, Stevette. And, and Steve is an attention lover, and Steve says, hey, you just, you, you just need to love me, worship me, come over here to be by me, because it's all about me. We generally don't like those people, right? We're like, oh, that person's obsessed with themselves. In middle school, you call those people popular. In high school, you call them stuck up. In college, you call them, well, I don't want to go there. As adults, you call them people you don't like because it's not fun to be around somebody. So we have got to ask the question. God in the Bible is obsessed with the praise of his glory. He says, praise me, worship me, give me glory. And the thing that we have to see is that God's whole plan of adopting you, making you an heir, giving you an inheritance, saving you, predestining you, choosing you, however you want to say it, whatever verse you want to go to, the process of you coming to know God is what gives him glory. And you giving him glory is what actually makes you more of who you were supposed to be. Because the ultimate gift that anyone can give you in life is God himself. The ultimate thing that I can give you is not a check for $40 million. I know that some of you are thinking, but I want that check. I think that would have a more significant impact. I promise you it would not. I promise you it would not, and we have case studies of this. You go look at all of the lottery winners and look at the percentages of their future success. Go look at the most successful quote unquote people in our culture. Go look at the movie stars, go look at the rich and famous, the very public figures, the people who wanted to be the center of attention, the people who have it all. And look at the rampant amount of people turning to drugs, turning to substances, turning to different relationships, because they got to the top and they found out that the meaning they thought that it would give them was not there. So often I I feel for, for people who are in the middle of it all, we we still don't have enough yet to realize that the thing that we're chasing won't satisfy us. We have just enough to think that if we get just the next level, then our, our heart will finally have some peace. We'll finally reach that place of hopefulness. We'll finally have that sense of, I've made it. We will finally feel secure. But from what I've seen and from what cri- Scripture seems to testify to me, is that the very thing we're chas- chasing is wrapped up in God himself. One of my favorite verses, um, if not my favorite verse, really over the last 10 years has been Psalm 16, You make known to me the path of life. At your right hand, or in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So the, that verse says, God, you make known to me the path of life. The way that I should go, you make known. When I'm in your presence, I have the fullest joy. And when I'm at your right hand, when I'm walking beside you, I have pleasures forevermore. Now, this is something that I love because I think we as Christians, we've got a bad rap of being the most boring people that exist. Now, I will give credit to people outside of the church. Some of you are the most boring people that exist. But it should not be this way. Because with God, we have access to the fullest joy the, the greatest joy that you've ever had. Greater joy than when you held your newborn. Greater joy than on your wedding day. Greater joy than when Uncle Billy died and you got your $40 million. Greater joy in the presence of God. Now, for some of you right now, you're thinking, this is not my experience. For me, religion is less joy, joy-stealing, less pleasures. Isn't the church supposed to be against the P word? We're not supposed to like pleasure. But the Bible says that in, at the right hand of God, walking with God, We've got the longest-lasting pleasures that possibly could exist. So here's where these two concepts begin to tie together. God is bringing us into his family. We are now heirs. He has planned this out. He has chosen us. He has loved us. He has adopted us according to the purpose of his will so that we will experience more radical joys and pleasures than we could have ever fathomed before. The, the day, the moment, if you're in Christ, that you go from this life to the next, you will realize how fleeting the pleasures were here. There is no sexual experience on the pleasure scale in this life that will be greater than what you will experience in the next life just walking down the road. So when people asked me on that heaven sermon a few weeks back, what about sex in heaven? There were people obsessed with that. I want to know, do we get to have it? All I know is that whatever we get to feel there is better than we get to feel here. It's longer lasting, it's fuller, it's more true, and it's more beautiful. But we sell ourselves short by settling for these lesser things to give our praise to. God wants us to praise his glory because of all that He has done with us. And here's the coolest part of it all. As we pursue God and receive him for who he is, as we see ourselves for who God made us to be, He gets more glory because it's, as we see ourselves as being adopted, what are we seeing him as? Our true father. So we're seeing more of God for ourselves. We're getting the gift of God. And as we get the gift of God, he gets more worship. And this is the great symbiotic relationship that we should never forget. That the more of God we get, the more praise and worship he gets. We should never separate these two things we should never say that god gets more worship when i punish myself or i i cry a lot no god gets more worship the more of him you get so it's in his best interest to give you more of him i know this is very twisted but here's the ultimate thing instead of the money instead of the the thing that you're chasing after the thing you should seek is am i who god has called me made me and saved me to be and then ask yourself what does that tell me about who god is and the gift that he's given me because the inheritance that god has I, I cannot fathom but as i said every joy and pleasure that we get in heaven is greater than the greatest joys and pleasures here and i don't want to just do an either or thing it begins right now you have access to god's joy right now because you already have either in sapling form or full-grown form every spiritual blessing in christ so right now we're going to go through these in the, the uh, other side some of you are in situations right now that seem hopeless. You think there is no way out. There is no way that this person is going to make this decision. There's no way that this job is going to land. Some of you right now are so stuck in a mindset of there cannot be a way out of the situation. It is not a, a lesser of two goods or, or it's an evil evil and you're hopeless. God's people have a hope that cannot be touched by anything in our experience here because Jesus transcends the hopelessness of every situation. Whether it's somebody that you are praying for and loving and wanting to come to know God, whether it's a situation in your life, an addiction, a brokenness, a struggle that you have hidden in the darkest corner of your heart, and you feel like if I let other people see this, if I let God know that I know it's there, then he will not accept me. I need you to understand that when it says that we are the first to hope in Christ, We will be to the praise of his glory. And then it says we are sealed by the promised Holy Spirit. All of of God, this is God stuff that's being done to you. It's not you finally getting smart enough. It's not you finally overcoming. It's you finally surrendering. God's, I I believe, one of his favorite positions to find us in is on our knees or on our face in surrender, saying, I just can't do any more. And you may think, isn't that the where hopelessness leads to? That's where hope begins. It begins when we have nowhere else to go but on our face before a God who says He will be our source of hope. Hope begins when we have been orphaned so long that we are hungry for the love of a good Father who has a plan and a purpose for us. You know what's crazy about this story with Greg and Donna and Anthony? and the two heart boys, is, is Anthony's in a wheelchair probably for the rest of his life, unless you guys get to praying, and me get to praying. Uh, barring a miracle from God, he's in a wheelchair. And they adopted him, and they, they changed his name, and they said, what's ours is yours, and you are ours. Anthony can't contribute anything as far as work to the family. I joke about my kids, you know, like, because my mom told me when I was young. The reason I had kids was so that one day I wouldn't have to clean the house and do dishes. So I have passed that wisdom along to my children. The reason I have kids is so I don't have to do dishes forever and do the yard work from June to October. Here's what I love about this story. Anthony will probably not do yard work in this life. Anthony will probably not do dishes in this life. Anthony will bring a lot of love and hope and joy in this life. Anthony's going to have to have care 24 hours a day for his life. And I think that too many of us think that our spiritual existence is like the kids who can give back and not like the kids who bring nothing. And I need us to start being the kids who bring nothing first. Because here's how it works. And I don't know why the human heart is this way. It just is. The more we are loved by something, the more we are taken and gripped by something emotional, the more we actually want to do with that thing. So let me give you an example. I am a grown man. I love singing. I love dancing. I love lightsabers. I love Star Trek, Star Wars. If you want to know which one's better, Star Trek, Superior. Hate me later, you're wrong. Um, I love dancing to Disney songs with my kids. Now, I hope we don't grow out of it. My oldest kid is Jackson. He's trying to be kind of cool now. He does this thing, and he's not here today so I can talk about him. But he, he's learning to dab. But Jackson got all of his mama's genes, okay? Because he dabs and dances like, like this. And uh, my middle son twerks, and I didn't teach him that. If you don't know what twerking is, don't Google it. <laughs> but we have these dance parties. And and as we're doing these dance parties, um, it, we bond. And I'll pick up my daughter, and I'll, I'll hold her hand like this, and we just dance around. Anytime there's a princess song on, we'll just dance. She has every gown, and we didn't buy these like people have given these. To us she's got her Cinderella dress her Sophia dress um uh, she can 't get a Moana dress because that 's inappropriate for her age, but she 's got all these dresses and she 'll go upstairs and put on her dress and she 'll put on her tiara and she 'll come downstairs and yesterday she had her um her ballet thing where they they dress them up like 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 street walkers and um <laughs> like eyelashes and i saw i shouldn 't say that there's young children here and um but literally like makeup, head to toe. And then she's wearing her dresses and stuff that night, and I'm just thinking, Lord, I'm not ready for this. But we danced last night again because she was dancing in ballet. We, uh, the boys fell asleep, and she snuck out in her pajamas, still had her mascara kind of running down, and her, her eye still on, her hair still all bundled up with junk. And the boys had fallen asleep. And she said, can we watch my dance song, Daddy? It was 9, 9.15. She curls up on my lap, and it's the song, it's the Lava Song from the Pixar short film, I Lava You. So she sits on my lap, and it's got an ukulele, so I'm already like, oh, just fly me to Hawaii, Lord Jesus. And I'm singing, and then I start singing to her, and then she puts her head on me. And then without me asking her, because usually she's not affectionate, she just leaned up and went with her little lipstick smudged lips. just kissed me right here on the chin, and I looked down at her. And here's what I'm doing today. I was so in love with this moment. I'm so in love with my kids. Some of you say, why do you talk about your kids? Because I love them. That's why I talk about them. Why do you tell stories about your daughter? Mostly because I love her. So here's the question I have for you. If you don't talk about God, you just might not have been kissed on the cheek by him yet. But it can happen today. If you've never been gripped by God, the first thing you should ask, have I ever wanted to talk about God? Because when he, when he, in his infinitely more vast ways, comes and says, I give you all of me. And, and the more of me you have, the more of true life you get. So this this thing, you press into me, you'll understand life better. You press into me, you'll know even more how much you inherit. You press into me, you'll understand joy more. You get more of me, you have more of life. And the way to me is in him, my son and it's free, and it's faith, guess what happens? You want to tell people, you know, for metaphor, how God has kissed you on the cheek and how much he has loved you. So many churches focus on the reverse end. You've got to go tell people about God. But we don't start with the heart. Because if you don't want to tell people about God, I want to tell you about God. If If you aren't stirred up to go tell people how amazing God is, then I don't want to just do a class to teach you how to do it because you'll go out there like an automaton robot and say, do you know about God? I've got these 17 points of, of just pain. But if, let me put it another way. What's the last good movie somebody saw? Good movie? Anybody seen a good movie lately? It's because it's all junk now. Let's go back to the classics, okay? Um, good movie, Braveheart, one of my faves. Actually, I'll just go more recent, Moana. I know I'm not supposed to like Moana because there's demigods and stuff, but whatever. Um, I see Jesus all over that movie. And I tell people, I'm at my coffee shop, 36-year-old man, adults come up, and as I'm writing this sermon series, I was pre-planning it all about a month and a half ago. I'm writing out the titles, looking through the whole book. People are coming, what are you doing? I'm writing a sermon series. What's it called? Know who you are. It's based on Moana. This is a grown man. No kids around me either. With kids around, you can get away with stuff. You can be weird because you say, my kids like it. But I've watched it more than my kids. Because there's this scene in Moana, and spoiler alert, sorry, where in the very end of the movie, there's this demonic being who was taken over because their, their heart, the heart thing has been removed. And this being came up because a guy stole somebody's heart. And in the end, Moana sings a song called Know Who You Are. It's like a minute of some Tahitian chant and a little bit of English. And she, I would sing it for you. My wife would kill me, but she's not here, but I'm not going to do it. She, she reminds this person who they are and restores the heart. I need you to have your heart restored because when your heart is restored by God, then you will talk about God. When you understand that you are, you were more helpless than any kid. You're not going to do for God anything. He's going to do everything for you And then after he does everything for you, now you get to experience what the hearts are experiencing. They've got a bundle of joy in Anthony. He can't communicate verbally. But man, that kid I go and I scratch his stickers, he'll chase my finger and scratch his sticker. And I'll scratch another sticker, he'll scratch another sticker. He needs more stickers, by the way. The parents don't like him. But the love and the way you go, you go talk to Greg today. Hey, Greg, tell me about what happened with your adoption. Watch his eyes light up as the father. Because guess whose eyes light up when he talks about you? The father. Because he says, now I've got all these kids. Now, now you're my kid. Now I'm going to protect you and guide you and lead you. Now I'm going to show you, like, don't stick your finger in that socket. This is how you should live to be better. This is why you do these things. And then as God loves you and, and, and as you have those experiences with your dad, you're going to begin to kiss him on the, the little corner of his jaw. And then all of a sudden, you're going to be telling people about him just because he's him and you're you. And you're in this forever entangled relationship of you finding more joy and pleasure and love and him getting glory and praise. And as one of my uh, people that I I very value value much says, um, as we are further satisfied in God, the more satisfaction we find in him. the the more worship and glory he gets. So we we get satisfied, he gets glory. And this is constant good cycle. And then we get to walk out and tell people. When people tell me, I'm not a good evangelist. I don't say this because it's mean, but I I just want to say like, maybe it's because you haven't been evangelized. And we all need to be evangelized in some area. Our heart is a corridor with rooms that God's light is permeating through, which is why we still have some sin in there. And and after years and months, God's light breaks through and sheds light on an area and our life gets to change. And every time God does that, we should be thrilled because the God of the universe is holding us and saying, I did this. I danced with you. I loved you. I let you stay up late. And then we get to kiss his face and he gets to look down on us. This isn't what it means to be an heir. This is what it means to be full of hope. This is what it means to be secure. Because I promise you, no one's going to take Savannah out of my arms, ever. Except for, I mean, I, I'll give her to her husband eventually, maybe. No one's going to take you out of God's arms. I mean, the, the verses are clear. I don't know, there is a debate within Christianity, but I feel like these verses, John six thirty-seven. Jesus says, all the Father gives to me will come to me. Whoever comes to me will never, I will never I will never cast out. Um, I don't get it. I don't get the people who say, well, you can lose your salvation. I literally don't get it because I read this and I try to see, how do you read this verse and not feel like the love of God has got you locked down, secured for love and goodness and pureness? In John 10, he says, my sheep, Jesus, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. They will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So how do we get there? How do we get this God to hold us in his hand? Right now, I play this game with my kids, and I'm still a grown man, and they're not. And I'll hold something in my hand, and Jackson will say, okay, you hold the Daddy, as tight as you can. So I'll put like a quarter in there. I'll put a $10 bill in there. I, I'm, I'm past the phase now where I put a $100 bill in there because I don't know if I'm that strong, um, but I'll hold it. And all my kids bombard me. And this is like, they get some free-for-all chances where I say, anything you want to do, you can do. It's free-for-all. We're wrestling here. It's because I grew up in bad places. I need them to know how to pull hair and bite, okay? So they jump on me. Silas is my wild child. He will jump without looking. That's why he's got stitches in his tongue and his face. Jackson is the, the evil one. So he does the pressure point behind the ear, okay? Savannah's my biter, and it just is what it is. She doesn't bite your children, I hope, back there. But but I'll hold this by and say, if you get my hand open, you get it. And they, they can't get it. It's three of them. Sometimes if there's enough money, my wife will get in on the action. She's just like, give it to me. It's a knee coming into my solar plex. you know. But I'm, I'm, I'm significantly larger. I, I am, if you combine all of my family members, you, you equal one of me only. But I'll never let that thing go. And I'm just a person fighting against three people and an, and an aggressive wife. But but God says you are in his hand. This is what it means to be secured. And the reason he put you in his hand is because when you're in his hand, he gets more glory and you get to figure out more of how life actually works. When you're in his hand, you get more joy. You can stop t- chasing the temporary fleeting things. And when you're in his hand, you have the opportunity to be enthralled and gripped by who he is. So how do you do it? It's all in the passage. You hear the word of truth. You've got to hear the word of truth. A lot of churches have converted um, over the years to this dialogue thing. And I love dialogue. We're going to do some of that probably in this series because God keeps sort of nudging me that way. But ultimately, the, the gospel means good news. You need good news. When churches go to the just discussion only version, I say, you better be careful. That's a good way to kill a church because discussion means we're figuring something out rather than the gospel is, we need good news to wash over us that changes us. A news that the battle is won. Whoa, now we can unlock our door. A news that you are loved. Now I can rest knowing that I'm secure. A news that no matter what happens in your life, you've got a God who will hold you, never cast you out. You will never perish because he chose you, loved you, wrote a destiny for you. This is news that now needs to rest on your soul so that now you can see how often God himself is saying, I love you, you're mine. No one's ever taking you from me. There is no evil, no brokenness, no sin. I've paid for it all. I've put it on the cross. You're mine. This is what you hear. It's not about just discussing. We do discuss, but it's not just discussing. We need to hear the gospel, and then we need to believe it. Do you believe it? It's it's right there. You hear the word of truth in verse 13, and you believed in him. Some of you like the ideas of jesus some of you like the ideas of i like this worldview because it's this radical forgiveness this love you return love for hate you return kindness for for anger and you return all these things it's this beautiful thing and you might like the philosophy of it i don't care if you like the philosophy of it if you don't get jesus i'd rather you be terrible at the philosophy of christianity but love jesus because if you get him you'll get the others later the fruit will grow but if you're here just for the worldview, my, I'm begging you. Put the worldview right here and, and look at the person that built the world that you're viewing. And then, after you believe it, you're sealed. This is the stuff we talked about last week. The God DNA. He's the promise, the guarantee. There's, um, there's not really. There's two ways we're sealed. We're, we're sealed as a being with a new spirit. So, so there's no powers that can penetrate the Holy Spirit. The sin is coming from within us if we do still sin, and the Spirit is squeezing that out like a juice press. And then there's also this notion of seal in, in this time where it was a seal, and we, like I said, we don't really have anything like this except for um, military medals, so I thought it'd be a good illustration for today. There's a movie. I can't remember the movie, but I'll, I'll, it'll come to me. I've had too much coffee. There's a movie where there's uh, soldiers and this person who was now destitute in life, had fallen on hard times, um, was getting harassed. And he was going to get kicked out of an establishment. And nobody knew that he had a medal of honor that he was given in the war. Now, a medal of honor, for those of you who don't know, it's like the highest medal, I'm told. Um, and it's, it means that you did something amazing. And the man had become disheveled in his, his beard and his eyes, sad and And he was getting harassed, and they were going to kick him out of this place. And then two soldiers came up, and they saw the medal. And he wasn't trying to show it off. They just saw it through the coat. And the soldiers see the medal, and they stood and they saluted the man because he had a a symbol of what what he had done. You and I have a seal, but it's not one that we have earned. We have the highest medal, the highest badge of honor, And it was what Christ gives us from the cross. All of our bad, he became sin. So that that he who knew no sin became sin for us. And while we were yet sinners, he died for us. So we transferred everything unto him. He transferred everything that he is unto us. And that's the seal we walk around with. This is what it means. You hear the good news. You believe it. And once you believe it, the spirit of God seals you. You walk as a holy being. And you may not see it yourself. And I've been praying to God all week this week. Lord, help me to see. Help me to see it on the people. Just like when Elisha's servant said, and when Elisha told his servant, God, opened my servant's eyes. And they were surrounded by a human army, and then the eyes were open, and there were angels on the rim of the mountain around them there to fight on their behalf. I've been praying all week. God, help me to see see people for where they're at. And sometimes um, this week I've seen hopelessness, I've seen fear and anxiety. I've seen people living as orphans rather than sons and daughters. You want to change that? Hear the good news that Jesus died for you. Believe in him. Beyond the world view, start with the person and be sealed with God's very presence. Let us pray.